We do have a handout. I don't know if everybody got one. If, uh, if you need one, Lisa's back there. She can uh, get you one and just raise your hand. She'll, she'll get that to you if you want to follow along. Uh, just want to uh, give you an update. Cindy says, instructed me to give you an update of our church uh, every week. So this is the weekly update of uh, Living Grace Church, a church that the Lord is uh, manifesting through Fran and I after many, many years of um, being told that this was going to be what we were going to be doing. It's coming into manifestation. We are officially starting on October 2nd uh, at 10 a.m. And we're meeting at, um, it's called the Forestry... Forestry Banquet Center, and it's located in the Concord Inn Hotel in Rochester Hills, uh, near Crooks and 59. We're having cards made up with all the details, and we should have those in a week or two. So we'll have some to give to you and uh, some that you can take and pass out if you're interested. Uh, But we are official. We've signed the contract, and uh, that's our official launch date is October 2nd. So... Thank you for your continued uh, prayers and, and love and support and encouragement. And uh, uh, we're excited to uh, finally get this going. It's been a, it's been a long time, but uh, we've been patient and we've let the Lord open the door. And uh, now is the time. So, so that's the weekly update uh, on Living Grace Church. Uh, tonight we're going to be talking about, like Cindy said, dealing with counterattacks and uh, maintain your healing. Uh, Fran and I uh, have been in ministry and have kind of been steered in the direction of the healing ministry for quite a few years now. And it's a pattern that we have noticed um, of attitudes or mindsets that um, people are attacked with and it can lead to a loss of a battle during a counterattack, you know they get a tremendous um, um, healing and they get a, a miracle at the time uh, when we first pray for them. And after a period of time goes by, for some reason there seems to be a counterattack, and they uh, seem to sink down. They seem to um, get anxious. They get worried. They start to get uh, filled with doubt and. Uh, this pattern we've noticed, uh, I think, has a common denominator, and it's uh, all linked to, I think, a lack of a foundation of the Word, of God's Word. It's so important to get an understanding of God's Word. This understanding will give you a rock-solid foundation that even if there is some kind of a counterattack, you know how to uh, take it out. You know how to uh, come against it. You know how to stand against it. And you know that you've already won the battle. So if you know that, there's no chance you can lose. But if you don't know that, then there is a chance you can lose. So we're going to talk about the word tonight, and specifically the word is a seed. Now I know that's not flashy, and that's not, you know, uh, thunderbolt and lightning uh, type of uh, excitement, but I tell you, 
from experience of years. I, I've, I've seen one extreme to the other um, of from like no word to word and then to the extreme side of the miracles and the miraculous. <clears throat> and I'm telling you, there's a balance and it's all got to be balanced on the word. I'm going to start out tonight uh, in an interesting book. Uh, this is a book that a lot of times is used uh, to teach against healing. And that's the book of Job, which is the oldest book in the Bible. Uh, but Job 5.19 says, He shall deliver you in six troubles. Yes, in seven, no evil shall touch you. So I'm going to read this first section, and this is, already, is actually an ex excerpt from uh, Joseph Prince's uh, devotion, Destined to Reign, and I, I've just taken uh, parts of it out, but I believe it really fits with what we're talking about tonight. It says, God will deliver you from all your troubles, but deliverance is actually not the best that God has for you because it implies that you are in trouble. God's best for you is the place where no trouble or evil can touch you. And with his help, you will come to that place because the Bible says, He shall deliver you in six troubles, yes, in seven, no evil shall touch you. This does not mean that God will only deliver you six times. It just means that as you keep believing God's promises of protection, after some time, you will come to a place where no evil will touch you. You will become so solid, rock solid. If you build your foundation out of the word, you will come to a place where you know that no evil can touch you. Another thing, this isn't in the, uh, the rest of this, was the Lord showed me this, that uh, numbers are very important in the word, and they're all symbolic and, and, and mean something in the word. Six is the number of man, represents the symbolic of man and man's ways and man's ways of, of doing things. And seven is a spiritual perfection, but it's also a, a physical perfection, but it's based on a spiritual attribute that makes it possible for the physical to be um, uh, complete or perfect. And I believe what the Lord is saying that if, the six represents man's way of uh, man's ways of doing things, and when you come to the end of trying to handle things through your own works, through your own struggles, through your own efforts, or through the efforts and struggles of, of other men and man's ways of handling things, man's ways of addressing things, when you come to the end of that, if you will start doing it God's way. If you'll start doing it with spiritual perfection, with God's spiritual perfection, getting the understanding of who God is, how much he loves you, how much he's already done for you, then no evil will touch you. You're done with doing it man's way, done trying to handle it yourself, done worrying about it yourself. Now you're just going to trust completely, wholly, and uh with everything you've got, nobody's going to convince you any other, uh, any other, that there's any other way than God's way. And we learn that through God's word. So that's the place I believe that we can all come to. So if, tr if trouble comes, God does not want you to be discouraged. And we see that a lot. And we see, you know, people, when they get that attack, if they get that attack, they, they get discouraged. 
they think they're doing something wrong. Uh, they think they've messed up. Uh, a whole variety of reasons of why they get discouraged. And they, they thought, you know, they had a miracle. They thought they were healed. And then why is this same symptom that I was having <clears throat> before coming back? Or why is a different symptom, you know, coming back now? He wants you to know that it is only the devil trying to steal his word from your heart. The devil is afraid of leaving God's word in your heart for even one second because he knows that will lead you to a place where no evil will touch you. That is why he comes immediately, he meaning the devil, comes immediately to steal God's word from your heart. He may do so by telling you that pain you thought you were healed from is back. Where is God now? You must not respond by saying, well, I guess it does not work. Maybe God's promises of healing are not for me. No, you must continue to stand on God's promises and say, the previous pain did not stay. God's, God promises me deliverance, and he did deliver me from pain then, and he will do it again now. Amen. So I will live life believing his promises of deliverance because his word is true. And I will come to a place where no evil can touch me. Like Cindy mentioned, this uh, teaching and all the teachings for the last uh, several weeks have been based on the book, uh, Your Healing Door by uh, Greg Moore. Uh, has anybody read this book out there? Cindy, all right. <laughs> well, you really don't have to read it because we've been teaching it uh, every week to you. But um, there's a lot of really good uh, nuggets in here. Uh, and... There's some things that you can really um, learn from, and, and it's based on their experience, uh, what they went through uh, with Greg Moore's healing, and then also their son that was a 15-year-old month, 15-month-old baby that was attacked with a severe form of arthritis and was told that he was never, the boy was never going to walk even. And today he's walking and healthy and, and whole and complete. Um, I just want to read uh, a little bit uh, out of here uh, because it, I was excited that he, this whole chapter, or not the whole chapter, but probably 75% of it is talking about the Word. And that's what, before even reading it, the Lord led me to uh, teach on that it's based on the Word, that we can counter uh, or come against counterattacks you know, with the Word. And like I said, 75% of this chapter is about uh, the importance of the word. Uh, quoting uh, Greg here, he says, More battles are lost in counterattacks than any other kind of battle. Um, like I said, his 15-year-old-month uh, son was healed of the juvenile muscular arthritic condition. But just one month later, Michael's wrist and hand began to swell up again. Instead of allowing fear and doubt to consume us with thoughts that Michael's healing was short-lived, we just took authority over the enemy, rebuked that swelling, and commanded it, commanded it to leave his body in Jesus' name. Amen. Within 24 hours, the swelling was gone. <coughs> Praise God. So that's how we, we come against the counterattack. We don't run in fear. We don't get worried and, and, and concerned about it. We stand and say, no. 
In Jesus' name, you've got to go. The devil may attack your mind with thoughts of doubt and defeat. He is after the word. Don't let the word go. When he comes to steal it, stick him with it. He is the one who is in doubt. He is already defeated, not you. See, if there was nothing to steal, he wouldn't come to steal, kill, and destroy. See, the devil is a spirit. He can see all the stuff that's in the spirit realm. He can see the healing that's there. He can see the restoration. He can see your joy. He can see your peace. He knows it's there. That's why he's trying to steal it. If there was nothing there to steal, he wouldn't have to even bother with it. But he sees it. But he's trying to deceive you into thinking it's not there. But we can see it if we see it with spiritual eyes, and our spiritual eyes is the Word of God that tells us that we have joy, that we have peace, that we have healing, that we have restoration, that we have all of it already inside of our spirit. So keep that in mind. When you get an attack, just say, I know you know it's there. That's why you're trying to steal it. But you're not going to steal it from me. Be prepared to respond to every counterattack by saying what Jesus said. It is written. Don't get into an argument with the devil. Don't get into a big discussion. Don't try to figure the devil out. Don't try to figure out demons' names. Don't try to uh, get into the whole spiritual warfare. The devil has been defeated. He said, why are you fighting a defeated foe? Run him off with the word. When you are ready for these counterattacks and you run the enemy off the word, it puts fear in him about trying to attack you again. He will think twice about coming to your house to try to steal from you. If you consistently resist him with the word, he will flee and go somewhere else. Now why do so many lose the counterattack battle? It is because they have not taken time after receiving their healing to receive instruction in the word regarding faith and healing. We must fill ourselves up with the word So the healing God gave us cannot be stolen by the enemy later through a counterattack. You can't lose your healing because healing is already in your spirit. It's already there. You can't lose it. But you can be deceived into thinking that you've lost it and convince yourself that you've lost it by the lack of renewing your mind with the word and that will convince you that the healing is, you don't even think the healing is there. But the healing is there in your spirit. We're a three-part being, spirit, soul, and body. We are born again with a new spirit, the spirit of God. That spirit contains everything we need for this life and for godliness, for now and the future. Our spirits are perfect, 100% perfect. Everything we need is in our born-again spirit. So you can't lose, don't ever think you can lose a healing. The healing is sealed. The Holy Spirit has sealed it. It's sealed. It's there. It's yours. It's already paid for. Jesus purchased it, paid for it, and gave it to us. So don't think that you can lose it. So that way, instead of being afraid and panicking, when you have that understanding, you can even start laughing. You can laugh in the devil's face. You're not going to deceive me anymore. 
I know your tricks. I know your game. You have no power over me. If he had power over us, we'd all be gone. I mean, as soon as a, uh, a person was born again or became a Christian, first thing the devil would do would take him out if he really had that power. He doesn't have that power. He has no power over you. The only power he has is to try to deceive you into thinking that you, God is angry at you or you don't have something, and then you convince yourself and take yourself out. He can't take you out. You just have to come into agreement with the lies that he is putting forth. But it's the same with God, and that's the way God has set up this world. He has given man dominion and control over this earth, and God can't force healing on you. You have to agree with God. So who are you going to agree with? Either you're going to agree with God or you're going to agree with the enemy. It's one or the other all the time. There's no middle ground even. You're either speaking words of life or death. Life agrees with God and his word. Death agrees with Satan and his word or world. But just get to a point where you understand you're the powerful one. You're the powerful one. He's afraid of you. If you knew it, if you really know the truth, he's afraid of you. And he should be running from you, and he'll do it when you start attacking him with the word of God. Peter explains this in 1 Peter 5, 8, and 9. He says, We are to be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking seeking whom he may devour. See, he doesn't say that he can just devour anybody. He's seeking who he can devour. Re resist him steadfast in the faith. The devil can only devour those who are not sober and vigilant, those who do not resist him steadfastly in the faith. And it's interesting, you know, when you study about the lion and, uh, and kind of the... Uh, deep meaning of these words, of the Greek words. Uh, adversary in the Greek actually means opponent in a lawsuit. So the devil comes at you like a lawyer, and he's accusing you of something that you've done wrong. You got that pain because you did this. You got that pain because you didn't do this. You lost your pain because you didn't spend enough time in the Word. You lost that pain, or you lost that healing because you didn't spend any time in the Word. And see, he wants you to settle the lawsuit right there. He wants you to settle right there and say, yeah, you're right. I deserve this. You know, it, it, it has a right to be there because, yep, that's exactly what I did. He doesn't want you to take it to court. And see, that's what most lawyers don't want cases to go to court. They want to settle it out of court. But we need to take it to court. We need to take it to the court of God our Father. That's why we can come boldly to the throne, to the courtroom of God. And we bring the devil right along with us and say, okay, you tell the judge now what you just told me. And the judge, God, is going to say, what, yep, you're right. They didn't, they didn't do this. They didn't do that. They did this wrong, whatever. But this case has already been tried. That's right. That's right. Jesus took all that Amen. wrongdoing, 
lack of right doing, sin, whatever. Jesus took it on himself and took it to the cross. And he bore all the judgment. He paid the payment and paid the penalty for this. So I throw this case out of court. That's the law of double jeopardy. You cannot be tried twice for the same thing. Jesus has already paid the price. So take it to court. Take it to your father. Take it to the judge. Take it with boldness because you know he has nothing to accuse you with. It's already been taken care of. All sin for all time, past, present, and future, has already been paid for by Jesus. Jesus is our representative and we are in him. He is right. He's our, now he's our lawyer. He's, and he paid the price. He's everything. He paid the price. He, he's representing us. That's why he's seated, seated at the right hand of the Father. He's intercess, intercessing for us. He is interceding for us. I'm sorry. He is our lawyer. He is our advocate. The devil, and the de- he doesn't want it. He, know, he won't even go there. Once you just say, okay, let's take it to God. Boom, he's gone. He's not gone. Because he knows the truth. He knows he's lost. He knows he doesn't have a leg to stand on. So don't let that lawyer intimidate you into thinking that you have to pay a penalty, that you have to pay the price of a sickness or a pain or an attack on your body. You don't have to pay. It's already been paid for. And you are living now by the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Also, he goes around like a lion. He wants, or like a roaring lion. And the lion is a picture of a king. Kings have rule and authority to make judgments. And that's why he roars like, he's speaking. He's speaking like uh, a king. He's not a king. He's speaking like a king. He's trying to make you, actually trying to make you think that it's God that is saying this to you. That's why he's like a roaring lion. He tries to act like it's God that's mad at you, that God is disappointed, that, and he's acting like that it's God that's saying that to you. And see, that's where a lot of the church, they, they get this wrong. They say that God is judging the world for their sin. No, he's not. We are in the condition we are in because of our own choices, because of our own uh, um, Actions and, and just totally abandoning God and, and ignoring him. But God, right now, we're in the age of grace. And God is not judging man. He judged everything on Jesus. But the devil goes around like a roaring lion. And even Christians will say, yeah, that's God judging you. Uh, you hear even Haiti. When Haiti was pretty much uh, decimated by that hurricane a few years ago, you know, uh, there was Christian evangelists out there saying that was God's judgment on Haiti because of their evil. And there is a lot of evil in Haiti, a lot of voodoo and a lot of witchcraft. But it was not God. It's not God judging them. You know, there will come a point when we come to the age of grace, when Jesus returns, there will be a judgment that will return. But we are not in that period now. We are under the age of grace, and Jesus has paid the price. And he has taken all of that. <laughs> and, and there's so much in this verse. Um, 
like a roaring lion. See, a roaring a lion does not roar when he attacks. A young lion is very quiet. And they stalk. And they try to get as close to their prey. And then they, they pounce and they run after and they try to take him down. But a roaring lion is usually, it's an older lion. It's a, um, a mature lion. And a lot of times it's a lion that has, uh, their teeth are falling out, or their claws are gone. Uh, they've got basically no power. But see, the animals in the kingdom, they're so um, accustomed to the roar of the lion that that puts fear in them. And the lions know that. So they, and it works a lot of times, where they'll get close enough to the thing, but then they'll roar. And some animals will just fall over and they'll be paralyzed because they're so full of fear. And see, that's what the enemy, he wants, you, he wants to roar like a lion and he wants you get, to fall over so then he can devour you. That's why he's seeking whom he may devour. He's going to see if you just roll over and, and faint because of, of the roar. He doesn't have any power. He has no claws. He has no fangs. He has no power over you. Only if you think he does is, uh, is the only power that he has. What I really want to focus on tonight uh, is talking about seed. God's word is a seed. This start, we are going back to our uh, handout now. And uh, the first sentence there says, Most people expect God's word to work like a stick of dynamite. But God's word is like a seed. We know because of what Jesus said. In Luke 11, it says, Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Peter said in 1 Peter 1.23, Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. God's word is alive, just like a seed. The Bible is full of unseen life. It is John 6.63, it is a spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. Jesus said his words are alive. They contain life. The words in your Bible make, may look lifeless and powerless, but seeds do too. But they are not without life or power. In Mark 4, 30 through 31, Jesus explained the kingdom of God works like a seed. So if we, are under, if we are to understand God's kingdom and how he operates, we need to understand seeds. And it says, And he said to them, Do you not understand the parable? How then will you understand all the parables? And I'm going to go back to that in a second. But he continues on. He had just given them a parable about a sower and sowing seeds. So now he's explaining it to them because they didn't get it. He said, the sower sows the word. And these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. These likewise are the ones sown on stony ground who when they hear the word immediately receive it with gladness 
and they will have no root in themselves and so endure only for a time. Afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. Verse 18, Now these are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word. And the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things entering in choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. But these are the ones sown on good ground. Those who hear the word accept it and bear fruit some 30, some 60, and some 100. And see, Jesus is telling them that his word, God's word, is a seed. And he started off by saying, if you don't understand this parable, then nothing else is going to line up. Nothing else is going to make sense. So the first place we got to start, the first place the church should start is understanding that the word is a seed. Now, for that to have any meaning, we have to find out what is a seed. What does a seed do? Um, you know, when Jesus was on earth, the majority of people were farmers. They understood the seed, planting, harvest. They understood that, that concept. But now there's very few people that our farmers, there are very few that raise their own their food. We, we do grow gardens and stuff like that, but kind of the, the uh, understanding and the concept of a whole you know, seed time and um, planting and, and watering and harvest, uh, we've kind of lost that. We just go to the grocery store and we buy you know, whatever, we, whatever we want. But all of that produce that we purchase started out as a seed. So let's talk about seeds for a little bit. Seeds, a seed is alive and it contains life. Your physical senses are incapable of judging whether a seed is alive or not. You cannot see, feel, hear, smell, or taste the life that is in a seed. There is only one way to prove a seed is alive, and that is to plant it. It's the same with the word. By our five senses, it doesn't look like there's any life in these words. It looks powerless. It looks weak. It looks you know, like there's no power in it at all. But that's when we look at it with our five physical senses. But the only way we can prove that life is there, we have to plan it in our heart. We have to believe it. And we have to water it and there's a couple different ways to water it, which we'll get into a little bit later. But a seed does nothing until it is planted. Nothing. Just like the word will do you absolutely no good until it is planted. Seeds do not grow sitting in a sack on your shelf. They must be planted in the proper place. If you desire the word of God to produce in your life, you must decide to plant the word in your heart and mind. The best way to plant and water the seed of God's word in your life is by speaking the word. Yes. Hearing others speak the word is good, very good, but it will not produce as bountiful of harvest as speaking the word for yourself. And that's what we want to lead you to. We want you to get revelation. We will share with you revelations of our own, revelations of others, uh, healings, 
testimonies and stuff to lead you, to get you excited to a point where you want to get the word in you so you get that revelation, so that it becomes real to you and it's planted in your heart and now you're not relying on others and other people's revelation to survive because that will only last for a, a, a period of time. Speaking God's word with your mouth is essential. As we speak God's word, we are planting or watering the seed in our heart for the harvest of results we desire. Praise also waters the seed. I don't know if anybody does plant, uh, even flowers or, or gardens, there's a product called miracle Grow, And it makes the thing, you know, just take off. And, and usually they, they are very healthy and there's a lot of nutrients and uh, and things that the plant needs, but it, it makes it grow very fast. Well, that's what praise does with the word. When you, when you plant a seed of healing, by Jesus' stripes I am healed, then you turn around and you start saying, praise you, Father, I am healed. Even though that pain is still in my body, even though that symptom is still in my body, even though the doctor is saying that's still in body, I praise you that I am healed. I am already healed. I'm not trying to be healed. I'm not working to be healed. I am healed. Praise you. Praise you because you are the God of all goodness. You are a God of mercy and grace and you don't change. You're the same yesterday and today forever and I am healed. I praise you and I thank you and I give you all thanksgiving and praise because I am healed. That's putting miracle grow on the seed that you just planted. See, it's all based on the seed that you planted. You're, you, now you've got something that you know you planted. Now you're watering it. Now you're putting miracle grow on it, and it's coming. It's taking root, and it, it's coming up. Romans 10.10 says, For with the heart one believes to righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made to salvation. So that seed is planted. Now you start speaking it. I believe it. I don't doubt you, Father. I believe this healing is manifesting in my body. I, I believe your word is growing in me right now. Whatever you need to be saved or delivered from, confession, what you say, is essential. A seed is much smaller than the plant it produces. The problem you face may seem huge. Cancer, heart issues, they just seem overwhelming. They're huge. In comparison, a scripture like Jesus, by Jesus' stripes I am healed seems pretty small in comparison to a, a diagnosis of cancer. But when you plant that seed, that word will grow and it will grow and it will overcome the problem and it will push out the problem. And the problem will go get smaller and smaller as the word grows and gets bigger and bigger and bigger to the point where you're not even concerned about it anymore. Because all you can see is the word. All you can feel is the word. All you live is the word. You don't live cancer anymore. You don't live sick. You don't live in pain. You don't live hurt, broken, disgusted. You live filled with the word of God that is growing and growing and growing. A seed always produces after its kind. Galatians 6, 7. Be not 
do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Whatever you need or desire, find scriptures relating to that. And you will find scripture, and it's got to line up with God's word. You can't just, you know, wish for a Lamborghini and, uh, and go on. I mean, the, things got to be uh, lining up with God's word. But what, when I say whatever you need, it's, it's, you're gonna, if you can find it in God's word, then you can stand on that. Whatever you need or desire, find scriptures relating to that. Then plant those scriptures inside of you in abundance. See, each scripture that you find, when you, talk, or you find a verse about healing, that's a seed, that's a healing seed. It's going to, when you plant it, it's going to grow up into a healing tree Amen. or healing bush. Amen. It's not going to grow into a uh, prosperity tree or a... Um, a tree of, um, you know, fulfilling a lack or, or something else. The seed will only produce after its own kind. So that's why it's so important to find the verse to stand on that addresses your situation or circumstance. Then you plant that seed, you wander it, you praise God for it, and you believe that it's working. And if you're standing on a scripture for healing, healing is going to manifest. A healing tree is going to grow and you're going to bear fruit. A seed is powerful and it looks so weak and helpless. As a seed begins to grow, it will push up dirt, rocks, etc. Whatever the obstacles are, God's word planted in your heart will push obstacles out of the way too doubt and fear and these are rocks and stones and come with the dirt this tiny little seed it goes buried deep in the earth and there's all kinds of obstacles in a way but it pushes through and it pushes through to the light and that's what it's doing it's pushing through to the light and coming out and bursting forth pushing rocks out of its way pushing obstacles pushing doubt pushing fears out of the way and boom it comes out and then it continues to grow as it bursts forth out of the soil. A seed begins to grow in secret, underground. The only way to tell if a seed is growing is to dig it up or wait for a plant to appear. If you dig up a seed, you may kill it. And see, that we, we do that. We tend to do that. We'll, we'll, we'll plant a seed of healing. we we'll say, okay, by Jesus' stripes I am healed. I believe it. I believe it. I stand on your word, Father. And nothing is going to change my mind. I believe I'm healed. Day goes by. The next day, you don't see any change. You feel the same. You might even feel worse. The pain might be worse. The symptom might be worse. Now, you start to wonder, Ooh, you know, is this really working? Is this crazy? This, this word doesn't look like it has life in it. It doesn't have power in it. You know, the church that I go to, they say that healing isn't for today. That Jesus doesn't heal, heal today. He only healed when he was on earth just to prove a, a point. But, you know, we can't trust in God to, you know, heal us today. What are you doing? 
you're digging up your seed. Doubt and fear, worry, anxiety will dig up the seed because you don't believe it's growing, you're starting to panic, and now you're, you're digging up that seed. And it won't grow. It won't grow. You got to leave it planted and you got to water it and you got to praise and you got to say, I don't care what I feel like. I don't care what the symptoms are. I don't care if the diagnosis is worse today than it was yesterday. I am healed. The seed is growing. The seed has been planted. The seed is in my heart. I believe it and I praise you and I know that it's growing, Father. A seed takes time to produce. No one expects a, a seed to produce a harvest the same day that seed is planted. But people expect that from the Word sometimes. Sometimes the Word of God does seem to spring up and bear fruit immediately or quickly. Those are miracles. God uses miracles to get people's attention. We are not supposed to be living from miracle to miracle. We are not supposed to be following, looking for miracles. Miracles are really for unbelievers. And God will heal even people that aren't saved, but he's trying to get their attention. But I'll guarantee you, even the people that receive a miracle, either somebody has been praying for them, interceding for them, or there is somebody like our ministry team that will come and lay hands on you, and it's because of the ministry team's person's faith in God, their faith in the words that they say when they lay hands on you, that there's going to be power you know, that comes out of those words, and you will see results from that. But when people aren't taught that, when they go away, and then the pain starts coming back, either they panic and they, they just run away and they don't ever come back, or they panic and they call the person that laid hands on them and say, oh, you've got to lay hands on me again. And they, uh, you know, that's fine for a period of time until the person can come into an understanding, but that can be a crutch for that person. And they can start relying on that other person and there will come a time when that person's not available or that person's not around. And we've seen it several times where people, they totally believe that the only way they're going to get relief or healing is if a certain individual lays hands on them. Uh, and we tell them, well, you, you can do it yourself. You got the same power. And no, I can't. It never works when I, when I do it. But... The miracle is kind of misunderstood. And Jesus even rebuked the disciples about miracles because Jesus performed many miracles uh, when they were around. But time after time, the disciples were amazed. They were amazed uh, uh, you know, by the miracle. And it finally came to a point where um, uh, one miracle, they were just totally amazed. And Jesus said that you have a hard heart. If you're amazed by these miracles and you have a hard heart you don't really believe that this is the kingdom and this is the way things are supposed to happen see when we lay hands that we should be amazed if something doesn't happen shouldn't be amazed that something happens if we really believe it why are you amazed 
You know, Andrew Womack talks about it when his, his son died. He was in a morgue with a toe tag on. <clears throat> and he had a, a, a long drive to get there, him and his wife. Well, they started uh, speaking the word. And they started uh, speaking out the prophecies that had been uh, spoke over their son, that he was going to be in ministry. And, and they were praising and thanking the Lord that their son was healed. And they got to the hospital and walked in. Their other son came running out. He said, you won't believe it. He, he just sat up and he's alive. And Andrew Wong said, it was, he said it was anticlimactic. He said, we had already praised the Lord. He said, when we walked in, that's what we expected. We weren't amazed by it. If they were amazed by it, that would have been evidence of a hard heart. That was, that was just like a wishing thing that they were doing. And when they came in, then, then once they saw for sure, oh, yeah, yeah, it did work. But they are so rock solid on God's word and had so many seeds planted in them, they drew and, and reached up and picked the fruit of healing and restoration for their son and knew that it was going to reap a harvest. And they got to the hospital, walked in the hospital, and their son, and he's still, this was years ago, and he's, he's still alive and healthy and fine. <clears throat> but we got to get over this amazement uh, of, of miracle. We got to come into the point where we expect it. This is what we expect. This is the way we live. This is the way we are. This is the children of God. And Jesus wasn't amazed when, when he wasn't amazed when he raised Lazarus from the dead. He, Jesus did what we consider some amazing things. He expected it. That's what was supposed to happen. So don't get caught up in the miracles. Miracles are great. Miracles do happen. Believe me, don't misunderstand what I'm saying, but don't get up or caught up in the lifestyle of living from miracle to miracle. Come to a point where you're planting seeds now that God's kingdom is growing inside of you and you are living where no evil can touch you. And now things are just happening almost without you even knowing it. God is blessing you and, yes. and lining things up yes. just with, uh, with our church. I mean, things are happening. They reduced the rate in, uh, of the room that we're renting and we didn't even ask them to. <laughs> See, that's living in God's kingdom. Things are happening without us even... We didn't even ask for that. We didn't even try for that. But it's because we understand that that's the way things happen for God's children. A seed is persistent. A seed never gives up, but works night and day. Even when you're sleeping, the seed you have planted is working to grow and express itself in a fruitful harvest. Don't ever think that that seed is not working. Andrew, another quote from Andrew Womack, he says, uh, and people all, he says, he gets this question all the time when he prays you know, for healing. They say, well, how long will it take? And he says, and this is a great line, I, and this really helped me when I was first coming into the understanding. He said, if you're willing to wait forever, then it won't take very long. But you have to be willing to wait forever. So when you get that obstacle out of the way of, of the time barrier, getting the time barrier out of the way, then now you've taken the restraints off and things are going to happen you know, quickly. But if you're willing to wait forever, then it won't take very long. A seed will stop growing without nourishment. 
Planting a seed is not enough to assure a harvest. Seed must be protected and then taken care of until harvest time. A seed which is dug up or not watered will not produce. And we've kind of hit on that already. The more seeds planted produce a larger harvest. 2 Corinthians 9, 6. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. That all the time, we, got, we should be in God's word all the time. I mean, not, you know, we can't stay in God's word, you know, 24 hours a day, but we, you know, continually, you know, be putting it, feeding ourselves with it, uh, absorbing it, and, and then standing on scripture and planting seeds. Um, I heard a, a minister talk about it the other day that he said, I have so many seeds planted. He said, I've been planting seeds for years. He said, I could coast for the rest of my life and live off of the seeds that I have been planting. For, he said, I'm not going to. I'm not going to. He said, I'll never stop planting seeds. But you can get to that point where, you, where you've planted so many seeds that now it's just abundant life. And that's what Jesus came to give us, is the abundant life. I brought a couple packs of seeds just to demonstrate really the lifelessness that looks or that appears to be in this seed. This is actually a sunflower seed, which we know how big and beautiful and, and uh, just powerful a sunflower is. But everything, everything that connects to the life of a sunflower is in this little seed. Everything, the stalk, the leaves, the flower, the, and then more seeds. That's what's so cool. I mean, the seed produces seeds. God's word is the same thing. You plant a seed and it'll produce more seeds for you so you can plant more seeds. And then you, it produces more seeds so you can keep planting more seeds. But this looks powerless, just like this looks powerless. And the world is so deceived. I mean, they've gotten so far away from word. Churches hardly even, a lot of churches, hardly even talk about the word or they'll read one verse or scripture and then they'll go on you know, to the rest of the service. But this is God's word is the same way. All of the life that the seed that you choose, like if you are picking like 1 Peter 2.24 that says by Jesus' stripes you are healed. When you plant that seed, you know, by Jesus' stripes I was healed. I plant that in my heart. I believe it. All of that life is in that seed. Everything is there. It's not lacking anything. And it will, it will produce. Now our spirit is, I don't know if you've been in stores, and, and I don't know if anybody's gone seed shopping. Not many people do. But they, in stores that do carry it, they have racks of seeds. I mean, it's just packet after packet after packet of a seed. And you can you know, pick out you know, whatever seed you want. That's the same thing with the Bible. But the word is spirit. Now the word coming into us is spirit and now our spirit has the same thing your spirit is a shelf of seed packets and it has hundreds thousands 
of seed packets available to you. But when you read the word, it tells you what seed packets are there. You read the word and then you go and you select the seed packet that you want to grow. You know, I keep talking about healing, but it, it, it's a very important topic. But it, uh, the word tells you, you know, that you have a seed packet of healing in your spirit. And so now you go to your spirit and you draw out that seed packet and you plant it in your heart because everything we need is in our spirit. So we draw out the seed packet of healing, you know, from our spirit and now we plant it in our heart or our soul and we believe it with our mind and we confess it with our mouth and we water it with praise and then all the life of the healing starts to grow starts to grow and it starts growing in your heart and in your soul and your mind then starts to be renewed because of the word that's growing up in you now that pushing out the dirt pushing out the rocks pushing out the negativity and growing into a beautiful plant of healing that you can pick the fruit from so just think of your spirit as a seed packet rack it has got all the seeds, all the seeds that are there. But if you leave them there, that's this all you get. It's there's no life. It's lifeless. You know, it's just it's just a seed. It, it it's nothing. But and when you grab it out of your spirit and then plant it in your heart, that's when the life comes. See, that's where people misunderstand when we say that you are already healed. You're not trying to be healed. They misunderstand that concept, that that seed is already there. It's already in your spirit. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to pull the seed packet of healing out and plant that seed and then let that healing grow in you. Sow seeds of faith. Don't talk sickness, problems, or lack. Talk health. Talk getting well. Talk about God's healing power. Talking the problem plants problem seeds, which are like weeds, that can choke out good seeds that have been planted. Even though you don't feel like you've been healed, remember that the just shall live by faith, not by feelings. And the seed, and the seed is growing. Talk through faith, not through your feelings. Talk about what God has already done. Think about his works. Remember how precious your salvation is that Jesus purchased for you. The word says, tells you, tells us what to meditate on. Uh, Philippians 4, 8. Uh, this one's not on, on the screen, but it's written on your sheet. It says, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. To think or meditate on these things effectively, you must use your faith. Because it doesn't say to think on these things when everything's going good, when everything's per perfect. It just says to think on these things, period. And when you have the Word of God planted in your heart, then it's easy. All these things are describing Jesus. Jesus is honest. Jesus is pure. Jesus is lovely. Jesus is of good report. Jesus is virtuous. 
And we can praise Him for all of those attributes. Check your speech to see if it falls into these categories of, the, of Philippians 4.8. Check your thoughts to see if they're lining up with these categories. If you're not in the realm of these things, you are out of the realm of God's kingdom. Be careful what you say. Because like we talked about earlier, you know, you're either speaking words of life or you're speaking words of death. Seed time and harvest. We have to get this idea of the word to plant, water, and harvest. Plant, water, and harvest. And sometimes plant and then water, 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 water. Patience, 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 and then harvest. Some seeds take a long time to germinate and they take a long time to burst through the soil. But don't lose your hope. Don't lose your expectation, your confident expectation that it is going to burst forth. Use the power in the word. Use the written word to maintain your healing. The written word tells you that you can resist the devil. Now this word resist, this Greek word, it, uh, it also means to withstand. And it ties in with um, Ephesians 6, like putting on the armor of God that tells you to withstand, stand therefore, withstand. Resist, it's the same word. So we need to stand and take a stand against the devil. We don't fight him, we take a stand. It says, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist or withstand the devil and he will flee from you. Uh, and then the meaning of withstand in the Greek is to stand up against, opposed with firm determination, to not be harmed or affected by something, to deal with something such as an attack or a criticism successfully. Stand up to him with the word of God. Great power is in the word, and that power is there for, to you, for you to use. But you get the meaning, to stand up to something such as an attack or a criticism successfully and you will not be harmed or affected by something. And that's how you stand up to You stand up to him with the word of God. It is written, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and it is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. That's Hebrews 4.12. It's interesting, the two-edged sword, you look up that Greek word, it actually means two-mouthed or double-mouthed. It's a really interesting word. I think it's only used three times in the, in the whole Bible. But I believe what it is saying, that the double-edged sword, you've got to put two mouths to it. God has already spoken it. He's putting the first edge on the, on the blade. The double mouth, the second mouth is your mouth that puts the other edge on the blade. Now you've got a super powerful double-edged sword, double mouth. It's quick and powerful. The other thing that we have seen a lot is uh, passivity, or people that are, are too passive. Um, and the Bible tells us that we can be angry. There is a righteous anger. Uh, there's a verse uh, in Ephesians 4, 26 and 27, that it's, 
it can fit with the way it's it's taught most of the time and and it's talking about like don't let the wrath go down on your anger and it's it's really don't you know remain angry and stay angry and let that angry angerness like build up as bitterness in your heart but there's a a, a bad sentence uh or a bad verse break in there because verse 26 says be angry and do not sin do not let the sun go down on your wrath now that's verse 26 then it starts verse 27 it says nor give place to the devil and then it, it continues on but if that the verse break wasn't there and the sentence doesn't stop i mean there's a colon there after wrath the sentence doesn't stop but really i believe what it means and i had i heard andrew womack teach on this so i know i'm not the only one but it says be angry and do not sin do not let the sun go down on your wrath on your wrath nor give place to the devil so don't let the sun go down in your wrath don't ever stop being mad at the devil don't let your anger dissipate toward the devil understand who the thief is understand where the anger is don't be angry at god don't be angry at others be angry at the devil recognize where the evil is coming from it's coming from him be angry at him be disgusted with him and then take it to him with the word with uh, a vengeance with a determination with a power that you have inside of you which is god almighty and put it in his face and get in and don't be passive about it yeah. don't be timid about it how dare you as a born born again child of god how dare the devil come to the temple of the holy spirit and try to steal away the gifts that are in the temple that have been placed there by jesus christ how dare he come into your temple are you passive as that if somebody's trying to break in your house no i mean if you're not going to kick him out you're going to call somebody to get him out of there and just that your body is attacked, and a lot of times people even claim that the sickness and disease is even their own. They'll say, it's, it's my disease, it's my, I have this, I have this. You're claiming that, you're giving it a right to be there, you're saying it's theirs. If you had a burglar breaking into your house, do you say that's your burglar? It's my burglar because he's in your house? No. You say, how dare you break into my house? You have no right to be here. Cancer? You're a burglar. How dare you break into my house? Get out of my house. This is the temple of the Holy Spirit. I'm the priest of this temple, and I declare that this temple is clean and washed, and you cannot stay here. You do not have a right to stay here. Get out in the name of Jesus. That's the anger. Don't ever lose that anger and direct it in the right place. He's the one that's trying to steal and kill and destroy, not God. Get your anger directed in the right place. And Satan does everything he can do to try to get people to be mad and angry at God. He blames everything that happens in the negative and bad on God. And people are, get so mad and angry at God that they, they walk away. They don't even want anything to do with them. Don't let that happen. And the word of God increased, Acts 6, 7. How did the word increase? It increased by the work it did through faith of those who believed it would work just as they said. See, the word, it's a seed. The word increased. 
That's what a seed does. It increases. Word power means word ability. God's power isn't something that will only make your body shake and quake. God's power is using his ability given to you to do his will. Faith in the word is the ability, the power to put into action what it says. Through faith in the word of God, you have the power, the ability to withstand the devil and make him run from you. Faith in the word is all it takes to trample devils underfoot. Never forget that faith in the word of God is the ability to put the word into action. That's how you deal with counterattacks. And after you come to a certain point, then no evil will touch you. Mightily the word prevails. Acts 12, 24. But the word of God grew and multiplied. Seed time and harvest. Faith gave or gives the word freedom to... Oh, this is good. <laughs> Faith gives the word the freedom to prove its ability. Faith gives the word freedom to prove its ability. You don't have to put forth the ability. You just have to have faith in the word and let the word prove its own ability. Let it prove its own power. The word of God given with all faith comes forth with God's ability, with his power. Acts 19.20 says, So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. It grew and prevailed. The seed has turned into a mighty tree and it has prevailed. When the word of God, excuse me, when the word of God prevails, it overcomes all evil, all weaknesses, and everything else wrong and brings about that which is right into its rightful place. We rejoice in the life of Christ. In the scripture that tells us, John 1.14, The word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as if the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Did Jesus was the incarnate word. Did Jesus have any effect on people? The Word became flesh. Jesus had tremendous effect on people. We should be demonstrating the same thing because it's Jesus that's behind the Word when we speak it. It's the life of Jesus. It's, a, it, it's even more powerful than when Jesus is here on earth because now we have the resurrected life of, of Jesus that's in, this, in, this word, in the Word. Is, it's, the power is... Amazing. We can't even comprehend the power. But we believe that it is so powerful that all we have to do is speak it and believe it. And our faith gives it the ability to perform. The word has great power, has great ability, but it must be used with faith for that power to go into action. You don't release the ability of the word if you don't use the word in faith. We as believing children of God should use the word and people should see the ability of the word, what it will do. They see 
they should see that the word has power, the ability to save, the ability to heal, to deliver, to give all strength. It has the ability to furnish all grace, give all love, and destroy all hate, all ungodliness, all unrighteousness. Power, remember, is ability. The ability of the word is incredible. They spoke the word of God with boldness. That's very important. How could they speak with boldness? Because they believed it. That's all it takes. That's all it takes for you to speak the word with boldness and and give it the ability to uh, uh, demonstrate the power that it has. They speak, spoke the word of God with boldness. And this is talking about the, um, you know, the first believers, the apostles, after Jesus left. This is in Acts 4.31. The apostles spoke the word with the boldness of heaven, and the word of God was able to produce. The power from the word went forth from God's people because they spoke it in the right way. You can speak the word, and nothing will happen if it is not spoken with the faith and the grace of God. But when you speak the word with the faith, and even I know it's, it's, it's God's faith. It's the faith of Jesus. It's not our faith. We're using the faith of Jesus and the grace of God. When you speak it with the faith and the grace of God, every seed planted will grow and you will reap a bountiful harvest. Then it's just a matter of picking the fruit. See, you've planted so many seeds now and it's grown up in you so much. Now, you know, fruit is just is coming up and then, okay, there's a little twinge in your body or a pain. You say, oh no, no. Jesus tried You reach in, you pick out the the fruit of healing. You eat that fruit and boom, that, that, that thing is gone. That little twinge is gone. That pain is gone. That's how you do it. That's the point where your reach will no evil will touch you. Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the power that's in your word. We thank you that you are the one that has the ability to hasten to perform your word. When we speak it with faith and belief and we speak it with your faith, then you will hasten. You will move quickly to perform your word. Father, we thank you for revealing to us that this is where the power is, that the power is in your word. We believe your word. We stand on your word. We thank you that you have made us your children and that now we have the ability to believe your word, praise you for your word, and then speak it with boldness, knowing that the harvest is there and it brings forth abundant fruit for whatever situation we are going through. Father, thank you for loving us so much. In Jesus' name, amen.